Well, good evening again and welcome to Sunday night service here on the roof deck at Moody Church. And we're so glad that you've joined us tonight. We are continuing in our series tonight on words, thinking about how we can best use this resource that we have that could tear people down or can really speak life and build others up. There was a season in my life uh, a little while ago where I was going through a difficult time. There were just different circumstances in my life. And I, I had one of those mornings that, if I'm honest with you, they, they don't happen a lot, but I still remember it. And I, this talk in my head, literally, I still remember myself saying this phrase, I just don't know how to keep going. I just don't know. There was a series of things that had discouraged me, that I was frustrated with. Circumstances hadn't worked out like how I thought. And I remember getting ready for work in the morning thinking, I don't know how I can keep going and doing this. I remember that morning within one hour of me sitting down and thinking that, that I had gotten a text from one pastor and a a phone call from another pastor, neither of which knew my situation well, neither of which knew that that's what I was facing that morning. Both of them just wanted to call to encourage me to see how I was doing. And I'll tell you what, those phone calls, those text messages totally made such an amazing difference in my life. God used those people to make a powerful difference in my life because of the words that they spoke to me, words of life, when I needed them the most. Tonight, as we think about our words, I want us to focus on the positive side of words, how our words not just can be used to harm, but how they can be used in good, to build others up. And tonight we're going to look at three ways our words can build others up. Three ways that our words as followers of Jesus can be used for the good of ourselves and even more so for the good of others. The first way that our words can be used to build others up is through encouragement. Through encouragement. See, encouragement is this idea of inspiring someone else with courage and confidence that you're giving your approval or comfort to someone else. In the New Testament, Paul writes into the church of Thessalonians, he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage, speak the truth in love and help and, and see the good in each other and speak those things to one another. And as TK just read earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, the, uh, to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. His idea there is this, is that as followers of Jesus, we will go through difficult circumstances. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you didn't get this exemption card where all the difficulties and struggles of earth would somehow pass you by and it would be clean sailing until one day you go to heaven to be with Jesus. But no, life is filled with trials and tribulations. It's filled with hardships and grief and struggle. And in the midst of that, one of the most powerful things that we can do for one another is to offer our words of encouragement to each other. 
There's a man in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, who was known for his encouragement. It's a man whose name is Joseph. Now, when I say the word Joseph and encouragement, you probably first think of the Joseph, if you know your Bible well, from the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, but that's not the Joseph I'm thinking about. In the New Testament, maybe you're thinking about, well, is it Jesus's father? No, it's not that guy. Is it the guy who, who helped bury the body of Jesus? Nope, it's not that guy. In fact, you most likely don't even know this guy's name is Joseph. See, in the book of Acts, it starts to talk about the early church and the community that they had. And it talks about how people were so generous in giving of themselves to other people. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it talks about this man who was so generous, he sold his field and he gave it to the apostles and to the church that was gathered there. And his man named was Joseph, but he was called by the apostles something else. He was called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. So you get this, this man named Joseph, who we know because he shows up all the way throughout the book of Acts. He's one of Paul's travel companions on his first missionary journey, helped plant churches, helped make a huge difference in the early church. His name was Joseph, but you didn't even know that. Why? Because he was such an encourager that literally the, nick, the apostles nicknamed him the encourager. He was the man of encouragement. We see this in several different areas in the book of Acts but I love how Barnabas models this for us with the apostle Saul in Acts chapter 9. Saul had been one who had been seeking to murder and to kill Christians when radically his life was transformed when Jesus appeared to him one day. And he had come back to Jerusalem later and he had tried to go and to be with the disciples of Jesus. And kind of, I think their reactions, what most of our reactions would have been. Nah, I'm good. Like you were just trying to kill me. What's so different now? Like, are you just putting on a face? Like what's going on? And there was one person who stood up for Saul who would become the apostle Paul, one of the most powerful missionaries in, the, in human history. And it was the man Barnabas. It says in Acts chapter nine that Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and how his life was changed. See, I don't know about you, but I love being around people who are encouraging. And when, when you get an encouraging word at just the right moment, it can make all the difference in the world. I've told this story before, but as I was thinking of encouragement, it just came to me again um, about probably a year and a half or so ago. I had had a really busy Sunday here at church. I remember I had preached in the morning service. I had some meetings in the afternoon. I had preached at Sunday night service. And then afterwards I was meeting, talking with people, praying for people. And I literally remember I was on the doorstep about to walk out into the hallway to my office, finally thinking, okay, I've been at church for over 12 hours. I'm just ready to get home and relax. When I, I heard someone say my name and I'll confess it literally crossed my mind. Should I just keep walking and pretend I didn't hear that person? But no, I stopped and I turned and it was someone I knew who asked if we could talk. So I said, sure. And then they asked if we could sit down, which in my mind went, uh-oh, this isn't going to be a short conversation. So I sat down and I said, hey, how, how can I help you today? And they just said, I, I don't need help today. I just want to pray for you and see how you're doing. And they laid their hands on me and prayed a prayer over my life. And I still remember I went down and got in my car and I just cried because it was so powerful how tangible the Holy Spirit was through the words of someone else speaking encouragement into my life. See, I know 
a couple things about encouragement. Number one, I know this. I know I have never met someone who felt they were too encouraged. I've never met someone who said, you know, people just encourage me so much. Could you all just lay off it a little bit? I've never met someone like that. And I've also never met an encouraging person that I didn't want to be around. Chances are, like me, you have people in your life who you know, man, that is just an encouraging person and time spent with them is a joy. So I wanna challenge you tonight to use your words to be an encouraging person. See, encouragement costs you nothing. Your bank account will be exactly the same after it. It costs you none of your financial resources. All encouragement costs is a little bit of your time and a little bit of your attention off of yourself and onto someone else. It's something that any of us could do at any time, yet it's one of the most valuable things that you can give to someone else. Who can you encourage even tonight? Who can you encourage that's in your life, especially if it's someone who you know has been struggling? There's a lot of us in this season who are struggling with, with grief, with loss of jobs, with loss of a change of plans, with maybe even a loss of life of someone that we know and have loved. Who tonight can you speak a word of encouragement into? It will cost you nothing, but a little bit of your attention onto someone else and just a little bit of your time. The second way that we can use our words to build up one another is through confession. Confession is a way that we can use our words to build up ourselves and to build up one another. To confess something is to admit to its truth, to declare it is true, right? You could think of it as someone confesses their love to another. They admit that it is true. And when the Bible talks about confessing sin, what it means is that the sin in our lives, we're saying it's true that what I see in myself, this sin is as bad as God sees it. It's not just a little thing that I don't have to deal with, but confession is a thing where we say, yes, this sin is what God says it is. When we think of confession, we should first think of confessing our sin to God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, that if and when we confess our sin to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that in that passage and in others that talk about confessing our sin to God, there's no asterisk with like fine print at the bottom. There's no God would be faithful and just asterisk unless you've done this, this, or that. See, God's grace and mercy is so much that when we confess our sin to him, when we see it as it is and we confess it to him, he will always forgive us and he is just in doing so because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So the first step in confession it's confessing our sin to God. This is how we start a relationship with Jesus. And if you've never confessed your sin to God, I would encourage you that right now you can do that. You can say, God, I, I realize that, that I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm far from being perfect. And I sin every day in deed, in word, in desire. I, I, sin has filled my life, but I want to confess it to you. And the moment you confess your sin to God, he will forgive your sin. But confession is also something that should be the habit of us as followers of Jesus. It's not a one-time deal that we never have to do again because sin is always coming back into our lives. So we confess our sin to God. But then secondly, we also need to get into the practice, the habit 
of confessing our sin to one another. Confessing our sin to one another. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, talking about those who don't confess their sin, but who try and keep it in so no one can see it. It says this, whoever conceals transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Although whoever tries to conceal their transgressions. See, we talk a lot, I feel like, about confessing sin to God. But this idea of confessing sin to one another isn't something that comes up a lot. Isn't, I think, at least amongst most evangelical churches, it's not a regular practice that we really emphasize as the way that we need to practice to grow in our relationship with Jesus. It's important to confess our sin to one another because secrets have this strange effect on our lives. We are, as human by human nature, we are fascinated by secrets. See, if I were to lean in right now and tell you, hey, I have a secret just for you. You would lean in and be like, what is it? What's the secret? Right? Because secrets entice us. They bring us in. It's hard to keep a secret, isn't it? I remember this last year when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant, we waited several different weeks before we told family and then we waited even longer after that until we kind of made it public and told our, our, all of our friends and announced and told the church about it. And during those weeks, man, I, every time it could have come up, I just wanted to say something. I remember I was out with some people and one of the ladies was talking about how she was pregnant and I just wanted to say, oh, we are too, but nope, that's a secret. And everything within me wanted to bring it up. There's the secrets that we have in our lives. When it comes to sin in our lives, it's easy to want to keep those things a secret that we don't want to share and say we want to hold those things in. See, there's a danger of trying to live the Christian life with secret sins that no one else in your life knows about. To trying to just, well, I don't don't need to tell anyone else about that. I can just do it myself. That's not how God made us. We need to confess our sin to one another. See, the reality is when we try and hide our sin from one another, we're often trying to hide it from God, which is pointless. God says in his word in 1 Corinthians 4 that God will bring to light all the things that we have tried to hide in darkness. We cannot hide our sin from God. Think back, if you would, if you know the story of creation and then of Adam and Eve, who sinned, who were the first people who sinned. What was their response that evening at the cool of the night when God came into the garden? What did Adam and Eve do in the presence of a perfect and holy God? They tried to, they tried to hide. And you and I read that story and probably think, that is so pointless. Why would you try and hide from the very God who created and formed you? Yet you and I practice this all the time in our lives that we try and hide and put away sin in our lives so that God won't see it, but he does see it. We not only need to not try and hide our sin from God, we need to get in the practice of not trying and hide our sin from one another as well. See, when we try and hide sin in our lives, when we never confess the truth about our sin to one another, what happens is we go down a spiral where shame and guilt continue to grow in our lives. 
We start to isolate ourselves. And when you start to hide secrets in your life about sin that you're struggling with, you will start to just feel isolated and alone in your sin. And like you could never get out. I just want to remind you again of what 1 John 1, 9 says, that when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. He sees the real you. Not the you that you present to others when you go outside, the you that you present at work, at church, on Instagram, on Facebook. Not that you. He loves the you that's deep down inside of you, even the ugly parts of it. I think a motto for us as we think about confession is the motto of a, a church that I know in California, which just says, be real with yourself, be real with God, and be real with others. And we need to be real about the sin in our lives, how that affects our relationship with God and be real about our sin with other people. So where do we start in this? Well, first, if you have relationships already in your life of people who you can know and you trust with your life, I would just encourage you, there's power in being vulnerable about your struggles with others. Not to glamorize sin, not ever to excuse sin away but so that others can come alongside and encourage and support you in your struggles, in your walk, in your growth with the Lord. There's actually freedom in confessing sin to one another. But maybe you don't have someone like that. I would encourage you to start to try and build intentional relationships like that in your life. We were never meant to live the Christian life alone. And if you don't have anyone in your life that you could call up tonight, and just say, hey, I need prayer for this. I'm struggling with this sin right now. Start to look for and start to pray for God that he would give you someone like that in your life, that you could not just confess your sin to God, but grow in confessing your sin to one another as well. So the first way that we could use our words for good was encouragement. The second was through confession of sin. And the third way that we can use our word to build others up is to confront. To confront. Now, this may not quite make sense at first, but hear me out on this. To confront, what I mean is that is having the hard conversations with others that need to take place. Confronting sin and ungodly behavior in one another. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself too, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or as Paul challenged Timothy in his parting letter to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, re reprove, excuse me, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I just want us to, to dial in there on that passage in 2 Timothy, this idea of reprove, rebuke, and exhort, because there's nuances to each of those words. They don't mean the exact same thing. To reprove is to expose sin or wrongdoing. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in it's this idea of being, of being reproved before others that sin would be exposed for what it is. See, it's hard to tell someone, hey, you know what? That was probably sinful. How you treated them, 
the words you said, that wasn't done in love. That didn't have a lot of grace. That wasn't done in kindness. That wasn't done in gentleness. Hey, you seemed that that appeared to be selfish when he did that. Those are hard things to say to one another. But I want to remind us tonight, it's not loving to ignore the sin of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not loving to see someone walk in sin and just to ignore it and say like, well, I hope one day they'll see it. But what God calls us to is to actually have a conversation, a hard conversation, but to reprove one another. He then says to rebuke one another. To rebuke, and this word in the New Testament normally deals with Jesus. Jesus did a lot of rebuking. Jesus rebuked the winds. He rebuked the sea. He rebuked the demons. He rebuked fever out of a young girl. He does a lot of rebuking. And when rebuking happens, what it means is that we are demanding and depending on God's authority that something stop. See, Jesus even rebuked sin in Luke chapter 17. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. See, what this means is that after we expose sin, we should challenge one another to stop. After we expose the sin in our, our hearts and we see it in each other, we should challenge it. Hey, this isn't okay. We shouldn't keep living like this. This isn't honoring to Jesus Christ. So rebuking is this idea of encouraging one another to move away from the sinful patterns and habits that we see in our lives and move towards Christ in every single area of our life. We reprove, we rebuke, and then lastly, we exhort. This idea of exhortation is actually the same word that was our first point, encouragement. This is the exact same word in the New Testament. To exhort someone has this idea of speaking words of comfort and building each other up of encouragement into their life. The passage we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he talked about encouraging one another, it was this exact same word, exhort one another. So in hard conversations with one another, we should do it with complete patience, but then we should do it by exposing where sin may lie, calling on one another to no longer live that way and end by encouraging one another, encouraging one another that God's love is still present. His grace is more than enough to forgive each and every one of our sins in our lives. See, hard conversations are hard. And hard conversations will always be difficult. I don't think that we will ever reach the point in our journey as followers of Jesus where when someone confronts us on our sin, it's an easy thing to take. These will always be hard things, but they are worth it. Hard conversations are worth it. See, D.A. Carson put it this way. He said, if it is hard to accept a rebuke, even a private one, it is harder still to administer one in loving humility to others. These are hard things to live in the Christian life. But the reality is this, that I know in my life, and I think if you were to stop to think of it in your life is true as well. People who have told me the hard truth that I needed to hear and didn't want to hear, I know they're the people who love me the most. People who speak into my life the hard truth that I need to hear, but that others won't tell me, but they're going to take the courage. It's hard in the moment. And in the moment you want sometimes to respond in anger, you want to get defensive. You want to excuse away your behavior. But when you receive those rebukes, when you receive that exhortation to move on from your sin, you look back and you say, you know what? 
that person did it because of their love for me. So I want to challenge you tonight not to go out and to look for someone in whose sin you can find and call them out. Certainly don't go posting on people's Facebook walls and say, hey, you sinner, knock it off tonight. But I want to challenge you to do is this, is seek to have this shoe in your own lives by inviting this into your own life. Ask people around you, invite them. Hey, if you see this pattern develop, I know I struggle with this. If you see this in my life, call me on it. Call me on this. This has been a unique season the last couple months. Then there's been a lot of, I think, unique pressures on us. And I've been very intentional for me. There's a few people in my life. And I remember it was last week that I went to someone and said, hey, listen, if I'm getting out of line here, please tell me. I need to know. I need to hear that. I think inviting those conversations are, are where we give permission to speak that truth into our lives. And when we have those hard conversations, it's where we start to grow relationship with Jesus. So may we be people who use our words to encourage one another. May we be people quick to confess our sin one another. And then may we be people who would confront sin in one another and then receive that confrontation and love and humility. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can use our words tonight, right now, for good, for others, for their blessing, that you would use our abilities to draw people closer to you. God, would we more and more become people of encouragement, people who build one another up, that after they spend time with us, that they would leave more filled with the Spirit, more in love with Jesus, our Savior, because of what we have spoken into their lives. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight, when we talk about confession, they've never confessed their sins to one another. And when we're honest, we've never confessed our sin to you. God, tonight, would you give them the courage, the ability right now, wherever they find themselves, to cry out to you tonight, to say the truth about their sin and to experience your faithfulness and your mercy and your grace that's found in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that whenever we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive it. We pray all this in Jesus' name.